As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Front End Nationwide. Happy New Year as well. This is Aaron Portsign with The Athletic. Joined as always by Allison Lucan. Happy New Year. And Tom Reed. Good day. Yes, the Blue Jackets are off today after a rousing 6-3 win last night over the Ottawa Senators. The almost annual New Year's Eve game. A uh, really fascinating game. We've got some some stuff to to delve through here. I, I think what um, it certainly wasn't uh, billed as much, and it wasn't, I don't think, over the top apparent that the Blue Jackets were playing with purpose or for cause last night. Uh, but it was pretty clear talking to the players after the game uh, that that they had the Nick Felino and his family. Uh, you know, on their minds and wanted to play well for them. It, it's such a trivial thing to worry about a hockey game when the Felinos are going through uh, a difficult time. The surgery, uh, the latest surgery for their daughter, Milana. Um, but on the other hand, that's what the players can control, and that's what they wanted to control. And they spoke openly afterward about Felino reaching out to them before the game uh, and letting them know that, that things were good with him and his family in Boston. Uh, the players came into the room immediately afterward. Most of them ran back and looked at the phone to see if there was anything new. John Tortorella called Felino. Uh, things are, are going as well as can be expected in Boston. So no word yet when the captain uh, is going to be back with the team. Uh, her surgery has, has been completed, but... 
Now comes the recovery, which can be can be an up and down affair sometimes. Um, so, uh, I, it, it, you see situations like this. We saw late in the practice on Sunday, where the team comes together uh, on the ice in a in a hug, and I think that that hug sort of continued uh, all day yesterday and, and through the night. What did you guys make of just how these players, John Tortorella himself, and and the the players just speaking about this and what it meant for them to play for their captain. Tom, you want to take that one first? Well, I think sometimes in in any sport, we we, we hear the guys talking about family <clears> in this. You're thinking there's a little bit of an eye roll there, I think. Uh, it's not really, these guys aren't related. They're uh, from a literal standpoint. And sometimes you, I think they just use the phrase because they hear it all the time. Oh, family, family, family. Well, I think this was a case where they very much uh, were a family. Uh, and you could, you, I know you, you talked to Pierre-Luc Dubois, you were saying that he was, uh, he was emotional in talking about it. Guys, right. I'm sure Cam Atkinson just, who, who just had a baby. I'm sure, you know, all these guys, uh, and, and people like Murray, who has been around the entire time, people know what Nick means to it. And they, they can, they can also relate what it would be like to have a young one like that, having such a serious, serious, uh, health issue so yeah i think it i think that, that, that they did kind of rally together and they, there was a lot of a lot of relief yesterday because they knew this was this happened around thanksgiving i think i'm, I'm trying to think we were in toronto uh when this this kind of he he left the team came back with the team and i think we all kind of knew that there was probably going to be a surgery looming and just imagine what how that is just weighs on the mind of a family and i mean i'm talking now the, the, the Felino family and for them to come through this yesterday, uh, you know, just a, a great way for them to kind of end the year, a uh, very uh, uncertain end of the year for them. Yeah. Allison, you're, you're on this. Yeah. I mean, I, I echo everything you both have said. And I think it's any, any team is, is a moment in time, right? It's even teams that stay completely the same or never the same year over year. And right. it, not to diminish, the importance of, of our focus on Milana's health and the Felino family, but what a real statement to, you know, we've, we and, and others in the media drum up this whole, uh, you know, how is this going to affect the room with two important guys talking about coming or going and, and what a testament to the work this group has done to stay focused on each other and what matters and, and staying tight in the face of whether it's drummed up or real adversity um, related to the hockey side of things. I, I thought that was just a really cool statement to how these guys can drown out the noise and really focus on what matters to them and that, that each other matters to them as much as it does. And you're, you think about how long it took this team to find a captain. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and so often you measure it by what the captain does from himself out to the team. I think the last 36 hours here have been the latest glimpse. This isn't the first time we've seen this and, and the players have shown how they feel about Nick Foligno, but really shows how that room views him uh, as their captain, not just how he treats them, but how they treat him. And it's clearly a guy that, that they play for and look up to. So all good stuff there and happy new year to the Foligno's continued, continued health and, and happiness as they go through the rest of this process. Really strange game last night. Really strange game. Um, you don't, 
you don't always look forward to playing the Ottawa Senators, frankly, because <laughs> it's such a difficult uh, trap to get through if you get caught up in it. They go up one nothing. The Blue Jackets come back 3-1, and the lead's gone. Uh, midway through the third, that lead is gone in about, I think, less than two minutes. It's gone, 3-3. And then in the final two minutes, the Blue Jackets bury uh, three goals, two of them empty netters, one from 170 feet away by Josh Anderson. A beautiful goal by Zach Wierenski and Cam Atkinson. Atkinson has had such a great season with his with his uh, goal scoring this season. But that set up to, to Wierenski, bang, bang. Uh, to make it 4-3 was really, really something. Tom, your your thoughts on that and what the Blue Jackets did late in that game last night to handle the 3-3 situation against Ottawa? Well, I guess we'll start with our, this is our Wierenski segment. Are we... Or are we we holding off? We just we're just <laughs> talking about this the snapshot there. Well, let's start with one and then bleed into the other if you wish. Well, obviously a huge goal, uh, the four three goal at a time where we've seen this team earlier in the month just blow leads late in games and sometimes end up losing the game. Uh, so for them to kind of put to put put behind them two fluky goals. A one that goes in off uh, David Savard, and the second one that was aided by hitting, I, I believe it was a referee's skate uh, yeah. that, that Zach Rensky would have handled normally, uh, and then to put them put that behind them, I thought it was a testament to them sticking with the game, not panicking, not letting the the fate uh, detour them from their task, and then secondly, just uh, just the latest for me in the last couple of weeks. Of the way that Zach Wierenski has kind of, kind of found his game again, found his all-around game. I, I don't know how many times we've talked on the podcast this season about boy Zach Wierenski. You know, it just it's been a struggle for him, especially in the defensive end. And you know, is he going to get back to the way he was playing his rookie year? And earlier this week, I went and talked to him. Oh, I guess it was a bit late last week, and just like, you know, what's changed for you? Because I think we've all noticed him playing a more physical game, a more responsible game he's not having those mistakes that we saw him earlier in the year make defensively and he said first of all Tortorella sat him down they talked about the need to play uh, a, a more uh, defensively sound game and I think Aaron you had you had written about this uh, several weeks ago maybe about three weeks ago yeah uh, but Tortorella sat him down and this is the same guy that said hey let's let's be a rover let's be a rover uh, and said, let's not be a rover for, for, for right now. And then the second part of it was that he started, uh, Rensky started going back to work with Kenny McCudden and just to kind of get a little bit of his confidence with the puck back. And he was working both offensive drills and defensive drills, like six days in a row during that homestand. And Rensky really didn't put up any points in that homestand. I don't think he put up any, which is weird. But he felt a lot better about his game coming out of that homestand and I think we're starting to see it now. And he's had, I think he has a five-game five game point streak and, of course, a couple of goals last night. I think it's one of the most important things of the season for them to kind of get through the end of this year and say, okay, Zach Wierenski is, no, is, is kind of got his entire game back together going into next season. Yeah. And this is not an issue going forward. And I, I think I, I've seen it, like the goals, all that stuff is going to be there because he's such a instinctive and talented offense. Sure, absolutely. But you, I've seen situations where he is back defensively 
and he is he is engaged now yes. physically in a way that he was not early in the season. And I, I think I think I think things just get away from you and you don't realize it until you are shown it. And maybe it, it just took that wake up call for him him to see that. But he is he's using his body now. My God, for for like weeks we we're like, God, he doesn't even really use his body to defend. And now he's back to to doing that. Are you and, and he's a big you know, you look at him, he's not a small guy. Six no, two, I think he's listed at two oh five, something like that. He and he's well can you know, he's a a strong kid. And, yeah, and he was playing a small game, though. Exactly. And I, I think that's the thing we've noticed, all of us, in the last couple of games. I, I think each game you can think of, wow, he, he really went into that check with purpose. Yeah. Uh, that I had not noticed earlier in the season. Do you see that as well, Allison? Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and I think that as much as he is talented offensively, and, and as Tom said, yeah, you know, he had not one point during that six-game homestand. Um, and didn't have a point in the game before that homestand started. So seven games without a point. But I think as his offense has come these last five, it's it's almost a little bit like we talk about Cam Atkinson, finding confidence in his strengths, and that feeds the rest of his game, right? I think we're seeing sure. a little bit of that, too. There was there was some good-natured fun last night that we actually saw Zach Wierenski smile on the ice after after that first goal and and. I think with the work he's been putting in and now to see that the offensive talent remains, I don't think he doubted that, but to see it's still there is just kind of that extra push over the line to, to now be the more well-rounded player that they have wanted him to become. And we were talking about this, Tom, especially that the Blue Jackets made a defensive pair shift late last night. Uh, John Torrell said, you know, ask Brad Shaw, he made the call, which is interesting in its own right. We know he makes the he he sends the guys out. He's apparently has the uh, the power to make a rather substantial change like that late in the game, and even being busted down a pair. So they moved Murray up with Seth Jones late at, at three to three. Right. Even at that point, it's Wierenski that scores the the go ahead goal. Give us some insights, Tom, on on just that. And I mean, we've seen this before where where Murray moves into Wierenski's spot to protect leads. Right. Were, you were surprised and impressed that they did it at 3-3 late in the game. Yeah, I, I just, I, I mean, again, we, we've, like you said, we've seen the, that pairing before. And I do think it's interesting, and you wrote about this maybe two weeks ago, Bradshaw's back working with the defenders. Yeah. Uh, but he was, he, he spent, this, he started the season working with forwards. And um, yeah, we, we've certainly seen over the last month, and, and this goes Back to our last little segment on Rensky, uh, his struggles and maybe some other struggles have necessitated changes. They've just they've been changing the defensive pairs. I remember Allison asking a question to John Dordarella last couple of days or last week at least about doing this, and he just this is going to be how it is right now until they can get things you know going. How they find like three pairs that they really like, or at least two pairs. But I don't remember them changing. In a tie game like this, even the other night against the Rangers, I don't think they did. Although I could be wrong, but it, it, it worked. It, it was a it was, it was a kind of a move that that worked at the end of the game, and good for them. Yeah. Well, we're in, we're we talked so much about Wierenski being a man child. The one guy that I think fits that bill on the other <laughs> end of the, for, for sure is Pierre Luc Dubois, and I mean it. 
geez, almighty, this kid is on pace for 35 goals, 70-plus points. Allison, he's growing up in front of our eyes here. <laughs> he is, and I'm going <laughs> to add one thing to Tom's point real quick before we talk about PLD, which is uh, I pulled up playing time by score state, Tom, for the past three years mm-hmm. for the Jackets. Um, right. In 16-17, the top two players at even strength defensively were David Savard and Seth Jones. Last year, it was Seth and Z, and this year it's been Seth and Ryan Murray. So mm-hmm. it, it is happening more than we may recall across the season, particularly two years ago and and this. So something to watch for sure. Um, P- PLD is such an interesting case for me, right? Because he's not his his what he's doing sneaks up on you. I feel like, um, yeah. particularly because he's playing with two extremely talented guys on his left and right who get a lot of the press. But, you know, I think back to, for me, kind of the, the opening of the door to say, Hey, pay attention to me moment. And and this is probably far more recent than it should be was that overtime goal in New York when he just took that puck to the net and put that puck in the net. Like this is what he was going to do. And it was his job. And exactly. And, you know, to, to talk to him, the bit that we do, he's, he's such a polite kid. He's, he's, he comes across as very humble. Um, he's young, my gosh, but the way he plays and the way he is putting himself, it, it was interesting talking to him last night. He, he said to us, Porty, you know, right before his, his first goal, he said, you know, I looked around and no one was in front of the net and that's what we want to do. And that's where I went. And that's how the goal came. And right. to understand his responsibility in terms of how he's thinking the game, um, is impressive in addition to everything that's measurable. Um, so it is, it's, it's crazy to watch this kid becoming what he can become. And, and to the point on Z as well, I mean, this guy is just a, a huge physical presence on the ice. Right. And, and I think he too is learning to use that and enforce with that. I thought he was a little reckless there to start the season, but now I feel like he's really finding the right way to use it and control it and, and make it effective as well. Yeah, and Wierenski, his first two-goal game, which surprised me a little bit because the way he's popped him in. Uh, but Dubois, his first four-point game in the NHL last night. The one thing that really stands out to me with him is I, I think uh, and T- Tortorella and, and others have, have talked about him struggling at stretches. And, and, of course, this is a hard league. But his consistency for a young age, his offensive output consistency, he hasn't gone more than three games without a point this year. And you look at 4-4-8 in October, 8-8-16 in November. He had a 4-8-12 January. That is a level of consistency that many, many young players have a hard time attaining. And, and he's, like I said, he's on pace for over 30 goals, over 70 points. He's plus 10. He's just this this kid. We looked at him, and I think we may have talked about this last week or a week ago. We've talked about him as such a physical presence. But, man, he is the offensive side of his game, both playmaking and goal scoring, I think has really been a revelation so far this year. Yeah, and he's actually – he's he is shooting at five on five. He is shooting just under a whole shot more a game a whole shot attempt more a game and he's getting almost one and a half 
more individual scoring chances per game. I mean, that's crazy. That is year crazy. Year over year. So it's, it's, and this is a, this is on a team that doesn't really have another center going, right? For sure. I mean, they're just they have, this guy has so much responsibility at such a young age. Uh, it is it really is something to, to watch. And the fact is, uh, we're writing about this later in the week. He was not a center. He didn't want to be. He had no no idea of wanting to be a center. He just wanted to stay as a winger in uh, in, in in juniors. I was talking to Kenny McCudden last night, and he's like, "Could you have made this move had he not played center uh, when he was in junior?" I said, "No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to have played center at some point. And where would they be without him right now uh, as a center? Because you know the rest of the group. We talk about it on almost a weekly basis." Uh, he's carrying that group. And, and again, the, the, as you guys just mentioned, the, the talent to me has become, then the, the vision and the playmaking has just continued to get better and better. And I think the decision-making too, we don't, he probably doesn't get enough credit for making right decisions uh, with the puck. Well, Tom, we, we've, uh, Allison, you've talked about this, like he's been the Blue Jackets number one center for more than a year now. Yeah. Uh, I think we've always sort of said, well, he's, He's not a number one center, but he's their number one center. Um, is he now a number one center <laughs> on any team? Oh, yeah. Well, not any team. Not any team. No, no, no. I mean, a number one caliber center. Oh, sure. Yeah. Not yeah. just not just by role on a team, but but is he that is he that good to be held sort of in that top 20 centerman uh, thought? Yeah. I mean, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead no. no, go. Uh, I. I you know, without just looking, you throw out a number twenty. I don't. I, I'm not positive, but I think so. I I think that he's really, uh, he's really his game is in his second year has really, really blossomed. And he's and even when he's not scoring, he's a good defender. He he plays both ends of the ice. Uh, you know, even when that offensive component of his game is not there, and he has to because the other the two guys he plays with are really, we talk about them on an offensive side of it, you know, he is the defensive catalyst down low. He's the only guy with any size. And I, I really haven't seen Bread this year play with the same, uh, you know, last year, how many times did we talk about what, what, what was the Bucko 5 or whatever they, whatever Torch used to say out? Yeah, you know, right. Buck 70. You know, that talk hasn't really come up this year. Uh, I don't recall Bread being as physically engaged in the game as he was almost all of last season. So he's had to do a lot of that work and uh, continues to do it well. Yeah. All good stuff. Allison, you had a really interesting piece. I think it was yesterday. These days are all blending together <laughs> um, about the blue jackets and sort of a, a, for sure, a behind the scenes look at how they track jerseys and game worn jerseys. Uh, people can certainly read that on their website. Give us a brief synopsis of, of, how you stumbled upon that and, and that story and what it means. <laughs> well, it's a, it's, I, I'm fortunate to know some, some folks who enjoy collecting game worn jerseys. So I've kind of been exposed to that world in the past. And um, a, a, a bit of noise started about gosh, it must be just a couple weeks ago when, um, so jerseys are, are the sale of jerseys is managed by this company called Migray. And, they it, it's a little authoritarian. It, it's taken a little bit of the fun out of it in that uh, actually, p- unfortunately, players don't get to keep jerseys anymore. 
Um, that used to be part of the tradition, and now it all goes through this migrate company. If a player wants a jersey, he actually has to buy it for himself. Um, but uh, migrate controls jerseys in what are called sets. So there's a there's an X number of sets of home jerseys, X number of sets in away jerseys, and if a team has a third similar situation, and, and they mark them, right? They authenticate them with this tag that is very sterile. It just says migrate, has a serial number, whatever. So uh, Jamie Healy, who's on the equipment staff, has been with the team since its inauguration, decided to have a little fun with it. They had done some fun uh, tags in the past, just everything as simple as having the team logo to marking things like Scott Hartnell's thousandth game. And this Jamie had wanted to do this for a couple years. It's, there's a band he's a big fan of that on their backstage passes always did kind of a custom image on the backstage pass that that didn't necessarily tie to the band per se, but, but conveyed a message they wanted to convey. And uh, Jamie played around with some pictures. He loves the city. He lives downtown. So he wanted to celebrate what's happening in the city of Columbus and played around with some printing technology, found a way to put pictures on these custom tags. And the first set hit kind of the market, if you will, last week. And I mean, the Jersey collectors are just going crazy because they've not seen anything like this. No team has done anything like this. And What's making it even more fun is Jamie is having so much fun with it. He, he doesn't know how many different tags there might be, um, where they'll be. They might, there might be different tags within one set, um, which is unheard of in the collector community. So it's just it's adding a level of fun. It's adding a level of, of personality and individuality to, to this team, to things that mark the season for fans. And, and I think it celebrates, again, just kind of the work that these people who – we see them behind the players on the bench in games. We hear about equipment managers. We hear about trainers. But these people make their mark on the team in so many different ways. And, and what a cool thing to to celebrate the creativity and ingenuity of of both Jamie and his boss, Tim Leroy, who knew Jamie would knock it out of the park. And when he heard the idea, said, go for it, and, and loves it himself as well. Yeah. Well, it's interesting stuff. Look for that on the on the website. We have a story up from last night's game and the and – the, the, um, drama surrounding the Felino family and and all that stuff. Tom will have a story pop in here soon, I'm sure. Yeah, Tom? Tomorrow afternoon, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, so Happy New Year from all of us. I think that's all we need to discuss. Anything else, y'all? Nope, just a full day of outdoor football. Outdoor football. All Arsenal and Fulham right now. we got Tottenham coming on later, so all good. That's awesome. Happy New Year to you, Tom. Happy New Year to you, Allison, and everybody out there. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. Thanks for watching those post-game videos and the hilarious screen grabs. <laughs> and we will uh, talk to you soon. I'm off to Raleigh for the start of the road trip. Uh, what day is this? is Tuesday, so Thursday. And the road trip begins Friday. And they reach the midway point of the season after the game Saturday in Miami. Hard to believe. Uh, so thanks for sticking with us and we will talk to you on Friday. Take care.